I'm Sean Holsell, and this is What's Left. Welcome everyone. Uh, as always, I'm joined tonight by the fantastic co-host Rene Barnett. Hi everyone. Welcome. And new to what's left uh, on his second episode now, George White. Hi everyone. Right? George. How's everyone doing? Not so bad. Well, really good. It's a it's a little hectic over here in the United States, as you might have uh, seen on television and and in the news but uh you know it's it, it's we're at a place here in america right now that I, I just it blows my mind i never thought i would see this but what's really mind-blowing and okay first of all uh you know for the wider audience that may not be uh staring at their tv screens as i am to watch the news about what's going on here um donald trump has been indicted for the fourth time on felony RICO charges this time. That's the racketeering laws uh, that are very, very sweeping and very, very serious, particularly in the state of Georgia, which is where the indictment has come down. A, a, a grand jury uh, has indicted him and uh, attorney, uh, District Attorney Bonnie Willis will be prosecuting the case. There are 19 defendants uh, so far, which she says they're going to be tried together. I'm not sure if she was just so sleepy that night uh, because she did say she was going to go home and go to sleep, uh, that uh, that she meant that they were going to be charged together because that would be, we'd have to have a football stadium or something for that. But I have a sense that that 19 will be winnowed down. Uh, I think that as people get closer to their own trials, they're going to think twice about hanging on to, uh, well, basically the lie that Donald Trump won the election and is still the president. I mean, as crazy as that sounds, that's what we're finding over here. And there are so many people on the right side that just totally think or at least express that this is a witch hunt that, you know, Oh, look, this is just more evidence that they just won't leave him alone. Well, how about if you keep committing crimes, then you keep getting indicted. I mean, does no one ever think of applying Occam's razor here? You know, is it more likely that the entire judicial system, including all the judges that were even appointed by Donald Trump, are now conspiring against him and against the Republican Party. Not yeah. very likely. I mean, for anyway, me, that's my rant for the day. And I know that's not what we're really talking about today, although I guess it could kind of fit in in, in, in certain ways with our guests, which I'm, who I'm excited to meet and speak with. Absolutely. But yeah, it, it's that sense of entitlement, isn't it, from this billionaire, ultra-wealthy class who just think they can 
break the rules and the laws. And the, the crazy thing is that he must have gone some way for this system that, that is stacked for them to, to come down against him. It's it's crazy, but... It really is. And the people that are most staunchly behind him, unfortunately, are the, you know, the lower... Well, we don't even have a middle class. I would say the working class, the poor class. You know, they think he's their savior, literally. You know, Jesus Christ and Donald Trump. And, you know, there couldn't be new, two more disparate figures. Uh, you know, I mean, if they, you know, I'm, I'm perfectly happy for people to have their religious beliefs and believe in Jesus. But if you believe in Jesus, then how could you believe in Donald Trump? How could you support him? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think from from where I'm sitting, and I'm sure George would agree, it, it's working class people should start looking to themselves to be the saviors. And, and that sort of segues in perfectly to, to tonight's guest. Uh, Councillor Matthew Brown's the leader of Preston City Council and uh, sort of instigator of the Preston model, which was borrowed from, from your great country, Renee, from the Cleveland model, from via Europe before that. And it's about community wealth building. So welcome, Matthew. Hi. How are you all doing? Nice to see you. Good, good. Thank you for being here. Pleasure. So, yeah, Matthew, could you tell us... Sorry, Rene. Could you tell us a little bit about what what you've done in Preston and what that community has achieved over sort of the last 10 years now, is it? Yeah, it's uh, very much work in progress, but we feel we've achieved a lot. I think... A big part of what we've done is actually had a very different approach to economic development, trying to make sure it works more for communities and people rather than corporate interests necessarily. So we're trying to implement various layers of economic democracy and try to circulate wealth within the community and do it in a very different way that people can benefit. And obviously, the community wealth building movement as it is now, it's obviously for, in my uh, in my mind, it's from the radical left, but I think it appeals beyond it. You've seen various expressions of it around cooperative ownership, worker ownership, municipal ownership, insourcing, banking alternatives, uh, community land trusts. You know, it's uh, quite an exciting place to be at the moment in Preston. And obviously what we're doing now is working with communities and making them aware that, yes, there are alternatives where we can empower people to take control of their own working lives. It sounds like a very complex thing that is far-reaching and, and, and sort of touches a lot of uh, a lot of different things for for the communities. So it, it, it sounds like a huge effort uh, that would be needed to implement every element of that. So, are you part of like sort of the overview and the planning, and how is that working out? I mean, how do you? congeal everything into uh, a plan that that sort of reaches all those areas that you're talking about? No, it's an excellent question, Rene. Um, I think we've got to look at where Preston was when the Labour Party, my party, took control uh, 12 years ago. So that's 2011. um, And we took control of the council for the first time as a majority party for some time, actually. Um, so we faced a number of things. Firstly, there was an economic crash, a global economic financial crash three years ago, which 
affected everyone, to be honest. Linked to that, there was austerity because in our country and beyond, the taxpayer had to bail out the large financial institutions, which arguably uh, caused a lot of that mess in the first place. So what we saw in a very working class community with lots of deprivation like Preston is our council budget and other parts of the public sector budgets were severely cut year after year, something we hadn't had in our life, in our political lifetimes at all. And then linked to that as well, there was a failure of quite a big, uh, big developer led approach to city centre regeneration, which would have been probably about £1.2 billion in today's money, where the culture in local government at the time was that we had to work with very, very large global developers and to bring investment into the community, city centre investment mainly. We had to put council assets into a vehicle to bring that investment in, but that would have seen wealth extraction. It would have seen semi-privatisation. A lot of the local businesses, it was their opinion, they would have not had opportunities through the supply chain. So that's what we faced. And what we've done since then is trying to build resilience. So yes, it's becoming living wage employers. It's starting a new credit union, but it's also regenerating the city centre now, primarily in public ownership. So we're building a cinema that's going to be council owned. You know, we're looking at how we can build council housing again. We're uh, doing up our Harris Museum. We're looking at an old building to have local businesses in there. You know, we're doing all these things. And when we do it publicly and work with anchor institutions like the university and beyond and encourage them to spend locally and employ people from, you know, less well-off communities and look at alternative models in the supply chain like employee-owned businesses, you know, you're starting to bring democracy and resilience back. And that is where you can actually build up a bit of a movement, really, which is very exciting. This is seen as quite radical, and I think it is to a degree. But for me, it's very common sense. I mean, the inspiration for community wealth building, the history of it, it came from the likes of uh, Mondragon Corporation in the Basque country of Spain or Emilia Romana in Italy or the Quebec social economy. The way that we do economics in this country to them is seen as very, very insane and very, very irrational. You know, they have longer life expectancy rates, their mental health is better, their, um, you know, life expectancy is better, the wages are higher, the working conditions are higher because a, a large part of these local and regional economies are actually owned by the communities, are actually owned by the workers. And what they've mm -hmm. done is actually, in that area, moved beyond capitalism to a more democratic economy gradually. And I think we could take some of that inspiration in Preston and beyond with community wealth building. Do you see this, what you're doing is sort of a, a model for other communities to follow? Is a sort of a prototype? Or is this being done uh, in different areas as well, if you know? Yeah, I mean, I work part-time for things that are called the Democracy Collaborative. And just now, two of the members of staff are two in America speaking to... Uh, mayors, politicians, community groups and others to look at how community wealth building can be adopted. In the UK, I'd probably say there's nearly half of councils now that have some aspect of community wealth building, whether it's progressive procurement or looking at employee ownership or whatever it is, or regional cooperative banking is another thing we're looking at at this moment in time, trying to get banking alternatives where we actually have banks that are run in the interests of communities regionally. We don't have that in the UK. And, you know, there's little bits of it everywhere. If you go to Liverpool City Region, for example, Steve Rotherham's got a land commission which tries to put more of a, a housing in 
common ownership using publicly owned land through community land trusts. You know, we've got a couple of these in Preston that are springing up. You've got ownership hubs across the country now springing up in Greater Manchester, Sheffield and beyond, which encourage retiring business owners to sell the companies to the workforce so they can be run democratically. Even the NHS now calls itself an anchor institution. So it's looking where it can procure, try to recruit people in the less well-off communities and even NHS land, for example, you know, in Preston, we work with them to uh, develop affordable housing on surplus NHS land because the NHS knows that the biggest social determinant of ill health is poverty. So, you know, so this is actually a movement that's growing and growing. And, you know, for example, the Welsh Assembly has what's called the foundational economy, which is uh, very community wealth building. The Scottish Parliament now has a minister for community wealth building and uh, the Stormont Assembly before it, just the day before it broke up, they actually launched a community wealth building report, an independent commission to work and have further local economies across all divides within uh, Northern Ireland. So, uh, yeah, the seeds of a new democratic economy, and this is what for me is very exciting, but it's tough because of the constraints that the Conservative government put on local government, really. Matthew, Matthew, you mentioned around the, uh, the the sort of cooperative element of it, and I think you touched on uh, Italy, uh, but also Mondragon. But the 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 uh, the resilience side of it, I think it was um, I think it was recognised in the in the downturn of uh, downturns of the nineteen eighties that the the cooperative uh, the areas that had cooperative um, large cooperative histories uh weathered the recessions much much better and in mondragon i, I believe that it, there's also it's not just a, a one sort of one cooperative it's sort of a i think they call it a complex a co cooperative mm -hmm. complex and it's sort of um if you are a, a cooperative member within that um complex even if that particular industry is um really struggling you end up redeployed within the complex. You might be retrained from being a, a machinist to being a furniture maker or something. So the, the the way that that resilience then has a real economic difference to a downturn, whereas in a in a more um, just investor based model, it's just there is a downturn. Uh, I, I might want to offshore my business to somewhere cheaper or something. Mm. No, it's an excellent excellent point, George. Yeah, I mean, if anyone Googles the Mondragon experience, what you see is a network of 120 interconnected businesses all owned by the workers. I think there's one that's a hybrid between consumers and workers, but the other 119 are worker-owned. Uh, they can actually elect the bosses. So, you know, the managers actually have to be through a public vote every year. So if they're doing a, a bad job, they can be removed. I mean, that is a very... To me, common sense concept, but we're not used to it here. Uh, I think the top pay ratio is between one and eight, but crucially, the wage is about 15, 20% higher because there's not an owner to extract what the workers in the community produce. Mm. You know, and what you do find is that when economic crises come, because we've had a lot of those recently, haven't we? Uh, unemployment is significantly lower in Mondragon and Amelia Romana. And as I said, there's been, there was a fantastic book called The Spirit Level by Professor Richard Wilkinson. You've probably heard of it, where even life expectancy, the level of violence in the community, mental health stress and all the rest of it, because you have these dense democratic cooperative economies, 
they're a lot better. So there's a very strong public health argument for having a, an economy which is more shared by the community. Instead of having a number of very large businesses where often, you know, if you're lucky, there might be a trade union agreement, but there probably won't be. There's an insecurity. There's very little, if any, um, you know, um, democracy for the people working, producing the wealth of the company. So it's it's very, very strong evidence base for it. And I think we're winning more arguments about this because I think we're just going from crisis to crisis, whether it's a financial crisis, whether it's a hard Brexit situation, whether it's a cost of living crisis, we're in a recession again. I think people do want some kind of alternative. But I think a lot of this can start locally and be, you know, driven from the grassroots. So the thing that we're doing now, which is exciting me, is we've realised this can't be top-down impressed and we can't get, just get the council and its partners to do it and the partners need some convincing as well because they're not hearing a lot of these ideas. But the community, for example, we've got women who've established a worker-owned business in Preston now converting to worker ownership. We've got the South Asian community, we've got a food business, we've got former female prisoners in a worker-owned cooperative. We've got some you know, working-class kids on a council, on a social housing estate, they've got a retrofitting cooperative that community groups help sit set up and all the rest of it we've got the um, traveler community who's formed a housing cooperative we've got the churches supporting a community land trust and then we've got a community energy group energy groups looking at cooperative housing and then we've got the institutions often paying the living wage and making sure where they procure and what they do with their assets is benefiting people but again you know i mean preston hasn't been transformed to the degree i want it to be because this takes time but what we do have is putting layer on layer and doing something that potentially is going to be transformative. And what we do see through these policies is out of Lancashire, you know, we've been the best for years for women who receive uh, the real living wage of £10.90 more an hour uh, out of 14 councils. You know, we do very well. The best, again, I believe, for affordable housing starts out of 14 councils. Um, councils in Lancashire and things like child poverty obviously it has gone up but it's not gone up at the level of other similar areas we've really arrested the decline in many ways you know and the mental health of the community there was an independent study showing that less people were depressed just because by the local council the partners having some of these ideas especially around doing things publicly and spending locally and getting local people and local companies involved in the economic process there are more jobs and my, people are less depressed, which is good. That was going to be my next question. You know, overall, psychologically, is this having an effect on the community? And, and what is it? Because I think we have a lot of uh, mental health issues around the world, possibly contributed to by, you know, COVID lockdowns. Uh, I think just the divisiveness of politics here in the United States and, you know, possibly there as well. But uh, I would think that this would help instill a sense of pride, ownership, responsibility, and, you know, it would bring people in together to work for, you know, the common good. Uh, you also mentioned uh, the NHS, and I, I just have to ask, and this is for the whole room, what is going on uh, in terms of, because I, all I was hearing a while back was privatization, privatization, and they were following, you know, the American example of privatizing uh, health care. Now, has that been pulled back on at all? I mean, any of you guys, please, uh, can you let us know? Because that to me is a huge deal. 
Yeah, I mean, just in terms of the first question, um, you got to remember that local government's really been restricted and areas, working class areas like Preston have really had it hard for decades. So it takes time for it to filter through because really people have really had it tough. And this is why I'm pursuing these policies, because I think skirting around the edges isn't going to help those communities, really. Uh, but mm. I think what we are seeing now is people actually getting jobs, getting better paid jobs, living in more affordable housing finding ways to play more of a role in local economic life, more and more people doing that. It started small, but it's building. And I think that is leading to a sense of civic pride. And especially if you go around the city centre, you see that instead of waiting for corporate developers and singing to their tune, you see in a regeneration primarily in public ownership where more people can take part. But as for the NHS, yes, I mean, there is a, uh, you know, with the Conservatives, there is a, a push towards privatisation a lot, but you can still influence the local hospital to act in a way that's going to be virtuous, even without going on. Not that that's an excuse for privatisation, that should stop. But, right, I mean, right. our, our, our NHS, for example, it's actually uh, bought a private care home, actually, because it's beneficial to the NHS to have that care home because obviously they need a facility, you know, as people are going from hospital into back into the homes, you see. So there's a bit of creativity even with this misery that we're getting nationally that you see. And I think we've got to build on that, really. Yeah, it's it's interesting, isn't it? I think for me, looking at the Mondragon model and, and stuff there, and mental health especially, I think there's a lot to be said for, for people being able to shape their own destiny and having some control democratically over over where they go in life. And I think a lot of the, the model of capitalism takes away that democracy and control and you're kind of at the whim of someone else where if, if we're all in it together, we're all trying to make this business work or businesses or community, then you're very less likely to get screwed over and thrown on the scrap heap. And again, that was a really good point earlier where we've got the community looking after each other in Mondragon. I think George made the point where if you're unfortunate enough for part of the business to to go under, you'll get redeployed and there's still a job there and, and your skills are being treated treated for the value they are. And, and human labour sort of put above rampant capital. We're in the model we all exist in at the minute in this country, or, or most of us outside Preston, Matthew. Uh, the, the Bank of England decide to raise interest rates to squeeze people out of unemployment to stop us all trying to get decent pay rises. And there's something so inhuman about, about that way of doing things. It, yeah, it's crazy. Matthew, I, I just wanted to to ask a, a little bit more about the the anchor institutions. So the so I, th I think the way that I understand it, so something like um, say um, the University of Plan in Preston or the um, the Preston Hospital, because they're things that are anchored, they're they're, they're unmovable. They are, they are in Preston. Uh, they act as the sort of um, the constant and then if you can then direct what whatever spending happens in those institutions to more um lasting in lasting um recirculating finance within preston rather than it being say a, a big uh, multinational construction firm that's brought in to build a new um a new building for the university if that was done through something that 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 is within Preston, then that money goes into the pockets of um, construction workers from within Preston, and then that money stays within Preston because they spend it in the shop in Preston, and then the person in the shop in Preston 
spends it on something else, and that money then recycles within the local economy rather than it goes to a multinational building company and then after one cycle, that money's then goes goes off to wherever the the shareholders of that company uh, reside. Well, that's the idea behind it, yeah. Um, we've got to remember, though, that if you talk talking universities and hospitals, they're not politically-led bodies like a council is because a council elects people often who are part of parties to uh, decide what it does. So you've got to really uh, be quite pragmatic about how you engage with them. But again, you know, the university and the hospital especially understand the benefits of using the clout, the purchasing power were and how they recruit. They recruit more minority communities, disabled people, people who left less well-off communities. They actually recognise that is actually good for those institutions and it's good for the health and education of the community, really. So, you know, you can actually get that kind of a mindset. I mean, our university, for example, yes, I mean, there are some things they do which I might not 100% agree with, but there's other things that are quite progressive. So, for example, they have the business school is has worked to establish 10 new worker-owned firms with the council and its partners, which is exciting. They did agree to be a real living wage employer. They do ensure that contracts over £100,000, there's a, you know commitments to move towards net zero. You know They have substantially increased spending with locally-based businesses, not all, but a big increase with family-owned firms in Preston and beyond. You know, so... Having that influence is what you need, especially when councils are losing budgets. Ours is not particularly big in Preston, so we've got to try and persuade others. But the key thing with anchor institutions is that, um, you know, there's lots of wealth in communities, even if they're quite deprived in these institutions. So even in a deprived community, if you've got a hospital, that'll have a budget of like often a billion pounds. They'll employ thousands, if not 10,000 people from the area. And uh, they've got lots of land and assets which can be used for the public good. So it's trying to get them into the community wealth building uh, umbrella, which has been very successful in the sense that the NHS constitution now calls itself an anchor institution. And then there's what's called the Civic Universities Network, which is encouraging universities to not just be an educational institution, but see what it can do to lead to the economic, social and environmental improvement of communities, really. So again, very common sense, isn't it? But again, it's all part of a that community wealth building umbrella. And I think we've got to work with what we've got already because you know we've had a Tory government now for 13 years, we've had austerity, and nobody's gonna do it for us at this moment in time. So we just gotta, you know, influence whoever we can to try and make things quite a lot fairer. Have you had much sort of kick oh, sorry, sorry, Renee? That's okay, you go right ahead. Have you had much opposition from from the sort of bigger businesses? Have, have they sort of kicked up a fuss over this? Well, I mean, it's not to the exclusion of inward investment and bigger businesses. What it's trying to do in many ways is actually have a more plural and diverse set of companies and organisations, you know, especially, you know, as uh, suppliers to the authority and beyond, because you've seen the Carillion and Capita thing and you've seen how... Uh, you know, that was a disaster and how there's a culture where these corporations often, and, you know, there's often issues around, you know, paying them out of tax, the law intends, et cetera, et cetera, with these uh, corporations and, you know, whether they use local supply chains, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, they've just dominated things. So for us, it's just trying to, in many ways, have a bit more of a, an even playing field, really. Um, 
they've not said an awful lot, to be honest. I mean, there's been one or two that have moaned about it, but I just think they just will try and maybe win contracts elsewhere. Mm. Uh, another thing you can do, which is really common sense, is that if you've got a contract that might be worth a few million, if you break it down into pieces, what you find is that the corporations often don't bid for it. They could do, but they choose not to because the profit isn't there. So, you know, they often all go to local businesses because, you know, a 200, 300,000 pound contract for a family owned business or a self-employed individual, that's huge for them. And they will go out of the way to do what the council or a partner wants. So that's the way they actually create that economic movement, really. That Yeah, it doesn't necessarily exclude people. It's just uh, often the returns aren't that rewarding for the companies that are used to getting those returns. So they actually don't get as involved as they would do before, even though they could do. George, I know you have a question on your lips. I saw it. <laughs> well, I was, I was just, I was just going to ask, ask around. Um, so I think at the at the beginning uh, we talked around where the idea came from. Um, so I, I, I had heard of the Cleveland. Uh, I think they were calling it the Cleveland model, and uh, and also I think you were saying uh, came came th- ideas came to Cleveland from already existing movements within Europe. Um, would you like to would you like to fill in some of those blanks? Is that is that for me or, or Renee? I hope it's for you, Matthew, because <laughs> I would be hard pressed. I have to start singing or something. So please. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, we were inspired by a guy called Ted Howard, who has created hundreds of jobs by getting the not-for-profit anchor institutions in Cleveland, Ohio by service, sorry, goods mainly, goods and services from new cooperative businesses that were owned by the community. And they actually went in an area of Cleveland where mainly African-American community, um, where the life expectancy at the time was 64. And then you go a few miles down the road in Cleveland, Ohio, to where people who are very, very wealthy live, and they can expect to live to 88. So it was pretty powerful just hearing what they were doing and how they were using that public wealth to actually create democratic firms within um, Cleveland, Ohio, and then linking it to what the not-for-profits, universities and hospitals there bought. So obviously a very neoliberal environment, and I don't think our economy should be like the American economy. I'm not saying that, but that aspect of what they were doing we thought was really creative. And then additionally, um, I think where you are in Los Angeles, Rene, you've got a movement towards public banking, which is coming from, I think, progressive Democrats. You've got that in San Francisco. You've got, uh, I think, the former mayor of Chicago and the new one who's supporting community wealth building. I think you've got uh, uh, a number of places in America that are looking at it. As I said in our conversation before we went on air, even Joe Biden's White House through the, I think, Inflation Reduction Act and others is looking at how they can make sure equity is in more hands, especially in minority communities because of the, the racial injustice. And you can argue the uh, systemic racism that the current system does impart on communities here, but obviously much worse in America in many ways. So, yeah, so even at that level of the Democratic president, there's actually a conversation beginning about it, really, about community wealth building. So this is where it's excited. And then you've got Amsterdam, you've got Barcelona, uh, you got, you know, I mean, I've been visited by Scandinavia, Italy, Germany, everywhere, to be honest. And it's South Korea, actually. That was interesting because, uh, you know, it was a bit difficult because the translator wasn't uh, 
always on the ball. But again, they were very keen. We had a number of mayors from South Korea come to Preston looking at how they can adopt it. So these... I wonder if our mayor's office here, we've got a fairly new mayor, former Congresswoman uh, Karen Bass, mm. and her sort of raise on debt, or one of them was to uh, address the homelessness here. Back in the 1980s, uh, Ronald Reagan was the governor of California, and through, I think, uh, a, an initiative called Pro Proposition 13, it really closed down a lot of mental health care facilities and other uh, and, and took away other uh, institutions that helped, you know, mentally ill and homeless people. So suddenly we just had people on the streets everywhere. Some of them were extremely mentally ill. Uh, well, it ran the gamut, you know, uh, so we've got a huge problem with people living on the streets here in Los Angeles. Thank God we have a fairly decent climate and people don't freeze to death here. But um, have you heard anything or I wonder if there, if there is a cooperation of mayors of cities, you know, across not just the United States, but talking with uh, officials in other countries about this, this same thing. I know you don't have the homelessness problem, you know, that we do here because at least you provide some housing, you know, through council housing and, and other benefits. We just don't have anything really like that here. Yeah. I mean, the, I mean, there is, I think there's got to be couple of years time there's going to be across the globe community wealth building leaders that are very strongly behind this what we need is more politicians to get behind it really mm. um, i think what scares people is it does talk about changing the economic system gradually beginning in place and i think that scares a lot of politicians but i actually don't think it scares that many people now because i think people especially in our country whether they're voting to the left or the right i think they do actually want some kind of change now because um I think there's an acceptance of things the way they are in terms of how the economy operates, who it benefits and who owns the economy. It just isn't working for most of us and that will need to be addressed politically. So, yeah, so there's more and more people on this and obviously we've got colleagues on tour in America at the moment, so they'll be speaking to politicians as well. I mean, there's been anchor cohorts in places like Baltimore where they bring the not-for-profit institutions to make sure that they do regenerate communities. But I think the... The dose of neoliberal capitalism in America is worse than anywhere often in the Western world, isn't it? So, you know, you do need some kind of radical action. But again, you do see exciting things happening. I mean, the community land trust movement has come over to America. And that came again from the African-Caribbean community, the African-American community in the 60s who needed to actually own the house and to have access to the housing market. Mm. So, again, you're seeing grassroots action there. You see movements towards, uh, you know, publicly owned energy companies, other things in America. You're seeing employee ownership movements that are growing as well. And you're seeing trade unions like the Steelworkers Union that are supporting, I think, in Cincinnati union-backed cooperatives. I think there's about 20 or 30 there, which are creating quite a number mm -hmm. of jobs with union support in the ownership of the community and the people who work within those businesses. So, yeah, again, for me, I just think this is really common sense stuff. I just think we, we've not been 
taught as an option that, you know, the democracy we get when we vote for a local council person or an MP or whoever in this country, that can and should be the workplace a lot more in an economic life. And I think not having that democracy is really causing all kinds of problems for communities around inequality and other things, really. When you present, oh, I'm sorry. I was just going to say, when you present this, uh, this idea, you know, especially if you're going to other places like America, uh, do you, are you, are you careful about what kind of buzzwords that you're using? I mean, I love the community wealth building idea, you know, because the moment you come here and you mention, mention anything that sounds like socialism, you're going to get, you know, shut down immediately because we've been programmed over certain words that have horrible connotations to us that really have no basis in fact. Well, so, I mean, I could be wrong, them? but yeah, yeah, I mean, see, seeing Bernie Sanders and, and others who are making a bit of headway in America with the young oh, around dem yeah. democratic socialism, I do think that, again, I think there is, especially with younger people in America, you say people probably 45 and under. Yeah. You know, they are open to something a bit different, really. So, I don't, again, I don't think those ideas are scary in the context of what we're going through. You know, the Soviet Union or the former Soviet Union wasn't socialist. It was, you know, it was far from it, you know. Um, so, I it think, you know. communist, uh, you know. There is well, a communist country that I can think of. Yeah. So, it's, so yeah, so I think people are, are very open to these ideas. and Yeah, but... Whoever the audience are, I think you've got to be careful with the language because at this moment in time, we need to obviously and will continue to need to work with very often conservative institutions. And you've got to appeal to to them about, yes, you've got tons of money and assets and you employ lots of people. You're not going to get up, get up and leave like a corporation. We've seen Wilkinson's in the UK, which is 12,000 jobs just gone because of the company ownership structure, the private sector. But they're going to still be there, even though they're being cut by a conservative government. And they can do so much in terms of how they behave. And that can benefit people in communities and it can enrich people's lives, really. So, you know, I mean, the language can be radical. It can be pragmatic. It depends. But, I mean, this is a very transformative agenda, but it's done in a way that's very, very common sense. And the more you explain it to people, the more you open minds. Sean, uh, I'm sorry. No, that's no, fine. I was going to say... Uh... The, the democratic deficit, obviously, in, in our structures in the UK, where we, we tended to, we got given the vote and then capital managed to steal the vote back off us and people are sort of held a cap. Well, most of the time spent in work, we, we haven't got agency over ourselves. And do you think that's sort of now, like you said before, people don't really care if it's left or right as long as there's change? And, and I, I would agree, I think certainly 40 and below people, I mean, we've lived through more once-in-a-lifetime economic catastrophes than, than most people uh, should ever have to live through. But this this sort of idea of, of worker ownership or, or community ownership, it's really interesting to me because it, it's sort of replacing that where you're powerless and people feel like politics isn't for them. This is something that's hands-on they can get involved in and do democracy differently do you think that's going to open the door to people maybe seeing politics differently and wanting and expecting something different from politics and their politicians 
Potentially, yeah. And the, the key thing with community wealth building is whether, whether it can, in the UK and beyond, can be brought to scale. And to do that, you need the politicians behind it. So this is why, obviously, I am in politics, because I need to uh, obviously, firstly, implement these ideas, because I think it's good for my community and it benefits people, but then obviously uh, spread them around as well. Um, so you need politics. But, you know, I think often these movements can influence politicians. So the NHS, for example, my understanding of uh, the originating idea behind it came from coal miners in Tredegar, Tredegar Medical Aiders Society in union branches with the support of union branches organising in mutual structures. So if they got unwell, which many of them were, or if they're injured, uh, they wouldn't be destitute and they'd receive care, which would be paid for by the mutual. And uh, that model was part of the NHS, which was adopted by the Clement Attlee government, you see. So, yeah, so this is, for me, what's very exciting. But, again, we do need the politics behind it. And, I mean, I'll give you an example. Obviously, a Labour politician I am, Mark Drakeford, who's the First Minister of Wales. He's looking at a Marcora law, potentially, with the powers he has, which will encourage people to actually you know, buy their own companies or if a, an owner's retiring to actually run it as a cooperative, they're looking at publicly owned construction and energy. I think the rails in public ownership, they're looking at a Welsh community bank called Bank Cambria. They have what's called a foundational economy, making, the, all the, making sure all the public sector collaborate around how they purchase and how that purchasing power can benefit people. So, yeah, so, you know, it's pretty radical stuff being done by a Labour politician. But, again, you need communities behind this, really. This is where I think the trade you And the current Labour Party, there's echoes of it still there. So if you look at the uh, Great British Energy linked to cooperatives, you look at the policies to double the, the uh, cooperative economy, if you look at the work around public procurement, making sure that public contracts go to unionised companies, et cetera, et cetera, you know, the National Wealth Fund, the state taking an ownership state within renewable energy companies. There's still a lot we can go on, really. But I just think, obviously, I do want to see a change of government naturally next year. But I just think in terms of what we're going to find, I think we're going to find that uh, there are multiple crises and really difficult situations. And we need politicians to respond to that or potentially lose a bit of support, which nobody wants. But I think this infrastructure we're getting in communities around questions around kind of, you know, how we can look at ownership of uh, economies is very exciting. Impressed that we've even, as a council, supported the community ownership of a music venue, which is very exciting because, you know, that talk about the mental health of young kids. If that went, it would have been dreadful for people in our community. And again, mm. through no fault of their own, they, that was leased from a private owner. The private owner wanted to sell it and put it on the market. And because he actually owned it, the the venue, that was a problem. So we, we helped them raise money to actually buy it as a community asset. So you're seeing these things in communities, which is very, very exciting, really. Mm. And um, I think the key thing is people, we've had an economic mindsets and set of values imposed on people that has beaten them up for decades and decades and I think they actually don't think there's an alternative when there is yeah. understandably so as well and this is again where I think the trade union movement can actually do a lot because I know the, the communication workers union are, are looking at pilots for worker owned post offices and worker owned broadband, they've got plans to do that as part of their industrial strategy and I think the more unions we get behind this the more we can do this in communities right here and right now I, I have a friend in uh, 
South Africa who was involved in a movement called Ubuntu. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of that, but it was a similar model. Uh, it was everything was community based and shared and and all that. Is there do you are, have you heard of that? Is there any relationship with what you're doing or any correlation? Maybe I should say with with what they've been trying there. That is something I've not heard of, but I probably will Google it straight away. It sounds very exciting. But uh, again, we've done some work with uh, the Global South because, again, the we had this really nice guy called Zito, an MP who came over in 2019. And, uh, you know, he was wanting to be a bit more radical in Tanzania uh, because, you know, there is a dynamic around it was his position and I can't say whether this is right or not, but he was saying that as one of the conditions for his country receiving aid was that a lot of the national banking system had to be privatized and that led to wealth extraction. So he was very interested in the idea of having a regional cooperative bank or even a public bank, which you get in mm. America, which is on a regional or city basis because that then builds resilience. And obviously, you know, these things are less, uh, less easy to actually take out of a public or cooperative or community ownership, really. So, yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I'd be interested in hearing about that, but again, we need to work everywhere on this, to be honest. And uh, I think obviously, you know, the global South, they need community wealth building really strongly because again, you know, some of the policies that we've had around how they receive aid has not been very fair to those communities. And I think, again, that can lead to that, uh, resilience in those communities as well as equity. Ma- uh, Matthew, um, you, you talked about in, in in Wales where they're looking at the the, the right to the right to be able to buy uh, by by your company by the company that you work for uh, and and turn it into a workers' cooperative. Because I believe in some countries, I think from the top of my head, I think in France, if your company's um, if your company is closing and therefore there's going to be a, a redundancy of the workers that in France you can use your redundancy payouts as the capital to buy the company and, and bring it into into a worker cooperative whereas for example in the UK you can't do this because redundancies only happen once once the company is closed or once the company is finished if you will uh, do, do, you know, do you know whether there's any um, when the, whether there's any emphasis being put on anything along those lines? Well, I think I think there needs to be. Um, the I think it's the Marcora law that they refer to in Italy, which is either something similar to what you mentioned in France. Um, it, they're doing it in a way that obviously won't be as powerful as Marcora, the Marcora law, but they have worked with the Centre for Local Economic Strategies, a progressive economic think tank, to look at something similar. So, again, that's very exciting. Um but again, it's creating that culture, isn't it? I mean, I know Blind Eye Festinio actually was there on holiday actually with a friend literally about a week or two back. But again, they managed to really, in that community there, uh, not the sunniest of places, because obviously the uh, uh, slate is the, the staple industry there. But um, yeah, they managed to become, I think, the social enterprise capital of Wales, which has 150 jobs really quickly. And they're looking at a community wealth building uh, response there so you can actually get these things in communities and get people together to actually work on these ideas i just think that people are used to hearing it i think that's a real thing but yeah wales will be very exciting and if we can use that 
some of that spirit of community wealth building you're seeing in places like Blind Afastiniog with this um, opportunity for new opportunities to actually have worker own businesses when there's a company that's retiring or a company owner that's retiring or the company's in trouble, I think you can actually do something quite special. Yeah, I, I mean, for me as well, a lot of it in this country comes down to confidence in, in working class people, a confidence to know we can do mm. this fail. And that's not something that, that's massively ingrained in, in working class kids coming through school. I mean, I I wish I'd managed to find a school that taught me the confidence Boris Johnson ended up with. But unfortunately, uh, that, that didn't happen. I had to find my confidence through the trade union movement and their education. But I think that breaking that confidence down and giving, giving working class communities the confidence to do things and, and empowering people. Because some of the most impressive people I've ever come across are, are working class people, are bus drivers, factory workers, cleaners, nurses, doctors. It, it's it's very rarely an MP, although there are a few of them who, who impress me, uh, few and far between from the ones I've, I've come across. And we've got to realise as a class that we can take ownership of our own destiny, whether that be in the workplace or stepping into politics or or whatever, and I think there is a lot to be said for for just building confidence and, and sort of unleashing our, our force as a class. Yeah, I mean, it's um, I think it's trying to find a way to awaken people that we can live in a much better world, and that uh, I think you know one way of doing it locally and regionally is looking at how other communities have done that around the world, uh, and it has been done in some places, and that's what inspired me to get involved in local politics and here I am still really um, and if you visit this pl- these places, I mean if you go to Mondragon for example, please do visit you see a real gentleness in the people they're really gentle people, they're friendly they're warm, you know there's a real, you, you feel the difference that having a much more sane and democratically locally owned economy has to people mm. and you feel the solidarity and you know there seems to be more warmth, less loneliness and what do we have now, we have you know Massive issue with people's mental health. You have a loneliness academic. You have a, an economy based on not what you do in terms of your creativity and your contribution. Often it's status based on what you own and an aspiration not to be a musician, a footballer, or you know an electrician or whatever it is. It's you know let's be rich, 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 really, and let's own stuff. Mm. And that's not good for anyone's mental health. And it's you know not surprising we are seeing so many young people who might have mental and others who might have mental issues, mental health issues, because it's not, it's not the values that we need, isn't it? Especially considering this life is very precious and we need to enjoy ourselves while we're here and share and be creative and expressive and really enjoy ourselves as well. Yeah. But just, just to, just to remember that, that hopefulness as well, as well, Matthew, you know, within say, for example, Mondragon, uh, which was, which was set up, you know, um, by Republicans in nationalist Spain, in conjunction with a Catholic priest, yeah. in a fascist country at the time, in Franco Spain. So there is, you know, there is a way forwards, and it can be done against what seemingly um, unassailable obstacles, can't it? Yeah, I mean, it's very inspiring. A young Catholic priest who people thought were bonker, was totally bonkers started this, you know, and he started with, uh, I think, one or two businesses, and then there's going to be a fourth one, and uh, he realised, well, we need to have a bank. And we're trying to start, start a bank in the northwest of the Preston model. And, um, you know, to have this fourth, fifth business, uh, he said, listen, guys, we need to have a bank. 
And then he, one day he came with a number of letters and said, listen, you're all the bankers. I said, well, we're, we're simple uh, working people. We don't want to be a banker. We don't know how to be a banker. He's going, you have to be a banker because if you're not a banker, there's no way you can expand this. And, you know, that was a big part of what they did, making sure that one of the four pillars of Mondragon was finance, that, you know, you can't have social progress if you're dependent on extractive large financial institutions that aren't rooted in the community, aren't owned by the community, that extract wealth out of the community. And then education, Sean, you're talking about education. That's another thing. This is why in Preston we got the Cooperative Education Centre. And obviously early stages in Preston by far compared to Mondragon, I know that. But the idea behind that was we work with union branches and say, well, you know, why can't you get together and look at a democratic company with union support, you know? Um, so, yeah, so this is why, you know, if you do get an infrastructure, you can do something special. But I think the question for us all is, if you look at Mondragon back in the 50s, obviously in Italy, uh, obviously, you know, probably 90% of people went to church in that community and were members of the Catholic Church. We don't have that, rightly or wrongly, in this country. And it's what we can do now uh, mm. to do that. I think technology is a big thing. I think platforms can be put into common ownership. So you can have alternatives to uber and delivery we've been experimenting with that not got as far as we'd like but you know we've been looking at stuff like that and i think that is an opportunity as well and that's an opportunity for unions with potentially local and regional and hopefully national labor politicians soon and beyond to actually you know look at these alternatives i think technologies i mean david bowie said that i think on Newsnight some years back about how the internet was going to be so huge he was saying that in the, the late 90s or the early noughties and yeah, he was right, wasn't he? It has become a central to all our lives and it can be used for good as well as bad. Yeah, absolutely. Well, this is, you know, how, what do you, what would you advise just the, the average citizen, you know, because that's sort of where I'm sitting right now. Uh, what, what do we do to educate ourselves about what you're trying to do and how it might apply in, you know, our own areas or in other areas across the world. What is that? What is the, a single person, uh, what can they do? Well, I think, um, I mean, obviously no one's going to be, most people will not and probably shouldn't be involved in it at the depth I am because it is often extremely intense. But I think if people just Google community wealth building, you know, Preston model, Cleveland model, Mondragon, Amelia Romana, economy, Quebec social economy, you just see how there are these economic alternatives which have come from locally based initiatives that have been very, very transformative. And then, you know, if someone's in a union, they can push for these policies. If someone's on the board of, say, a housing association or a charity, they can look at living wage accreditation and where they can spend. If someone actually is, is interested in establishing a cooperative, there's help there from Cooperatives UK and beyond. There's all kinds of things you can do. Even if you're part of a pension fund, you can, or part of a, a university student, you can be pushing for more local investment and uh, more divestment from fossil fuels, for example. There's right. lots of things people can do. Mm. You know, you can shift your money to a building society or a credit union. You know, when these new regional cooperative banks, which are emerging in many regions now, do start you can move your money there this is how you bring about that change really right. yeah and yeah it's uh, it's exciting again the the what we're getting is we're getting a coalition in Preston of the faith community you know muslim community christian community hindu community jewish community beyond 
with local businesses and with unions and the voluntary sector. Because even local businesses often, they have a really... If you're a small construction company that owns five or ten people, often you find yourself out of business because of the dominance of a few big boys. And they actually quite like what we're doing, which I found uh, surprising at first, that how, you know, 99% of businesses are actually small businesses. They're not big businesses. But again, their market share is often less than 50% or is less than 50% because of the dominance of larger businesses and they just want to have a fairer playing field. So the people who can get behind this economic agenda, transformative economic agenda, is quite a big tent, really, which for me is quite exciting. That's wonderful. Well, I've learned a lot today. I, thank you so much for this. Embarrassingly, I, don't, I, I knew nothing about the Cleveland model or any of these other things that are actually going on here in the United States uh, where I live. So I... I really appreciate this and I'm going to definitely look into this more and try to figure out how locally uh, we can get more involved. No, it's been, it's been fantastic, Matthew, and we have run out of time. Uh, so what's left? Uh, I think hope, hope's what's left. And if we can build confidence and, and sort of have faith in ourselves that we can deliver this sort of stuff in our communities, then, then there's all the hope in the world for us. So, good night from me. I've been Sean Holsell. I'm Renee Barnett. And I'm George White. Good night. Good night. Thank you.